Hello and welcome to Find the Outside the Podcast. We are back. And we're back with a rather special guest today. This is Zaid Hassan. And if you haven't heard of him, you're going to have heard of him because you're listening to the podcast. I mean, I guess that's somewhat obvious. Nonetheless, I've had the joy of knowing Zaid for a very, very long time, on and off over the years. I think it was in my early 20s, Zaid, that I met you through Pioneers of Change which was a global network of kind of young emerging professionals trying to do good stuff out in the world, you know. And then you've been on so many journeys there from Generon into Rios, the author of the Social Labs Revolution. Uh, You're you're constantly kind of like popping up on videos, talking about complexity. Uh, You three years ago started 10 in 10. So I feel like... Uh, I'm just really happy to have you on the call. I actually was brushing my teeth this morning and I said to my daughter, Emma, I said, Emma, I'm going to get to talk to Zaid Hassan today, who I knew when I was a lot younger in my career, and I'm going to get to reconnect to him today. I'm really looking forward to it. And she's like, oh, that's lovely, Dad, you know, as she walks out the door. Anyway, Zaid, it's fabulous to have you with us. Why don't we start with you doing a far better job of introducing yourself than I just did? Thanks, Tim. Good to see you as well. Feels like it's been a while, um, but yeah. it also doesn't at the same time. Weird, hey? Yeah, that's very weird. Um, yeah, it's good to be here. As you kind of mentioned, I've been working on all of these things for a long time. The way I kind of see what I've been doing is working on challenges that we might call complex for the last 20 odd years um, when you start counting. So it's kind of a long time. And right. yeah, I sort of feel that the first sort of 10 years of my career was assuming that I'm just going to learn how to do this stuff from other people. You know, they're better paid than I am. They've been doing it longer than I have. They know how to do it. So my assumption was I was just going to learn from other people and, um, and, you know, they're going to teach me how to do this stuff. And I think fairly early on, I kind of realized that that's probably not quite how it's going to play out and that actually the practice, if you like, of tackling these challenges is quite immature. So we're talking about sort of the early 2000s um, now. And what I what I kind of realized is that the practice, if you like, is kind of immature. So then I guess the subsequent 10 years plus have been spent on figuring out how do we mature the practice and um, what does it mean to be effective at tackling these kind of challenges. So that's kind of the broad trajectory of the last um 20 years. And, and as you kind of mentioned, there's various organizations that I helped set up and found and have belonged to in that time. Can you bring us the most up to date with 10 and 10? Can you just give us a little kind of insight to 10 and 10? Because I'm going to drag you back to history at some point, but like, you know, get us up to date. You know, I think probably around 2017, 2018, I had a, a little bit of a, or a major kind of shift in terms of approaching the work. And I'd worked you know, for, for all of that time until then on a, mostly on a consulting basis. So, you know, having set up, um, um, having set up Rios and then setting up, I set up another company, um, which we ran for about three years. And, and basically the idea with the the new company, which is called Roller was that, um, we would work for one client at a time and we would work for on, on, on a multi-year basis with clients because we weren't mm. getting to kind of enough, enough depth on kind of small consulting contracts. And basically that was the end of my consulting career. <laughs> at the end of that, I was like, I was like, this is not happening. I can't do this anymore. Um, and you know, I can tell you, I can tell you why. But um, my conclusion was that you know, this is just not happening on a on a consulting basis. And um, so basically, shut it down and then um, set up Ten in Ten. And Ten in Ten's mission is how do we tackle ten complex challenges in ten years? Um, and obviously, the point isn't that we personally are going to tackle ten complex challenges, but rather, how do we demonstrate what an effective response to a complex mm-hmm. challenge looks like? Um, so, how do we demonstrate how to do this stuff um, more effectively and, and better? 
Um, so we set up 1010 about three years ago, and the idea was to start with climate change, and that's basically what we're working on, um, with the goal being to demonstrate what an effective response to the climate crisis looks like. There's so much there. Uh, you know, as a as a person who runs a consulting firm, I'd love to know, like, what what was the where did you reach the end of that model? What did you learn? I'd just love to know more. Yeah, I think there were kind of two experiences or two kind of conclusions that I came to. So one was um, we were working for a, a, a large foundation that had been around for about 100 years. Um, and, you know, they were amazing people, great people. And what we realized is that, um, or what I realized was that um, that they had an endowment. So they had a very large endowment. It was sort of a $5 billion endowment. Um, and we were working on creating jobs for um, young African-Americans in the south side of Chicago. And so I was having a conversation with one of their execs, and she said, you know, it's interesting that corporations don't do more for, you know, young people in the south side. And I was like, what do you mean? That's an interesting comment. And she said, well, you know, you'd think that corporations would be creating jobs and setting up businesses in the south side, but they're not, and they should be. And... And I was a bit like, wait a minute, you do realize that you're financing those corporations. So your mm -hmm. endowment, which you give to, you know, one of the investment banks, they're taking that money and investing it in these corporations. You're getting a return from that and you're taking that return and you're splitting it up into tiny little chunks of, of grants. And then you're funding nonprofits with small amounts of relatively right. small amounts of money compared to okay. the endowment. And you're asking them to, to solve the problem that you actually are financing right and they were not very happy with this um, i was gonna say how'd that go down I yeah mean, it didn't I... go down didn't go down very well and you know to, to 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 their credit the ceo who was our client said yeah absolutely that is the problem and it was a bit like well you could spend your endowment directly creating jobs in the south side but you're actually giving it to wall street and you're financing the problem and you know the exaggerated version of this would be imagine that you know you're trying to tackle climate change and you're financing NGOs through grants, but actually your profits are coming from financing fossil fuel companies and coal, it would right. make absolutely no right. sense, right? It would just right. be like, that doesn't make any sense. And also, clearly, as long as you continue financing fossil fuel or coal, or, you know, you're not going to solve the problem because you're actually underwriting it. Um, so what I realized is that as a consultant, there's nothing we can do about that. So even mm -hmm. though we, even though we did attempt to and spoke to the CEO and the CEO was like, yes, I can raise it, but the board is like, obviously then don't want to go there. Um, so my conclusion was just that, you know, we can consult till the cows come home. They're not mm. going to st structurally change that setup. Um, mm -hmm. And actually, as long as that structural setup continues, um, you know, you, you, you can obviously do some good with the grants, right. but you're not, you're not actually going to solve the fundamental causal drivers, if you like, of that um, problem. Um, so that was kind of one of them. Then the other foundation we worked with was sort of a Silicon Valley type foundation. Again, you know, amazing people, great people. Um, and they didn't have an endowment, but their founder would write a check, um, you know, for probably a hundred million a year. Um, and they'd been going for about 10 years. And their question was, the question that they were raising was effect, essentially their effectiveness saying that we're not effective um, mm. at what we do. But it was a bit like, well, if you're not effective what you do, why are you spending 100 million a year? Um, and, you know, you've spent a billion a year, you, you know, you've spent over a billion dollars to date. And the conclusion you've come to is that we're not very effective. Wow. And what I realized is that, you know, there was a superstructure there that was being financed. And you can't just take that superstructure apart and say, time out, it doesn't work. Um, right. And in some ways, what happens is this, that continuing the superstructure becomes the point to some extent. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was a bit like, again, structurally, 
it doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, yeah. you're not being effective. This money could be deployed better, but it's not really going to be other than in a fairly incremental way. Um, and again, you know, it didn't feel like as a consultant that you could influence, if you like, the the practice. And the conclusion kind of with both of these is that, you know, all strategy out in the world is a function of what happens internally. So it's sort of, it's a function of your inner game as an organization, as a team, as a person. And consultants don't get invited in to tackle their inner game piece. They get invited to tackle the problem on the outside. Um, but it's a bit like, you know, oh, the problem is there in the south side. And it's like, no, not really. <laughs> the problem right. is actually here in you know in this tower block in 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 the middle of chicago um and that's not what you get invited into to tackle Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and you know and it's a little bit like imagine that you're coaching a sports team but you can't actually talk to the players about their mental state or their practice or you know Mm -hmm. it's a bit like no no the gate the game's out there so you go out there and it's like that's not how it works Mm. i love it Choose, go, go are you no, following I, up? I've, well, no, I don't have a follow-up question. I was just going to say that feels like really uh, coherent with what we find, right? It's just like we yeah. actually were just with folks last week that were like, all right, right? Like unless we can get inside, like we're actually not going to be able to be successful outside. Like I feel like we like learn that lesson over and over and we have varying degrees of being invited inside. But that's, yeah. you know, the question. Yeah, and I think even when you are invited inside, sort of as again as a consultant, what you're basically doing is making a set of recommendations. You're basically saying, "Look, that's you know, right." Our, our you're not decision makers. You're not decision yeah. makers. So, right. so you're sort of saying, you know, given our understanding of, you know, what we're seeing, we think you need to do A, B, and C. And typically, the kind of response is, "Ooh, we don't really want to do that." And it's like, "We'll do a little bit of A. We definitely don't want to do B, and we definitely aren't going to do C." And it's a bit like, but. That's what you've asked us in for. Right. And, the, and, and the reason, obviously, is because those things are extremely difficult to do. They're not easy to do. Um, and again, with the analogy of being a professional athlete, it's a bit like you know someone saying, I want to be a professional athlete. And say, well, that means you've got to get up at five in the morning and train for 20 hours. And they go, well, that doesn't sound great. Like, it's not. <laughs> exactly. It's, like, it's not. It's not very good. It's really, really hard, you know? And, yeah. And so people kind of go, well, I don't want to do that. And it's like, well, then maybe you shouldn't want to be a professional athlete. Yeah. What is 10 and 10 doing differently? How are you approaching these issues from a different orientation or a lens? Or, I mean, you know, what, what's kind of funny is, um, you know, you know, again, as a consultant, imagine, you know, you go into a community and you basically say, okay, at a community level, we want you to do A, B, and C. And obviously people kind of go, well, who the hell are you? And why should we do it? Right. Um, you know, and it's like you have no social capital with that community. They don't know who you are. They know that you've been hired as, you know, quote, high high paid external consultants, you know, you're getting paid a lot of money, you're advising and they're a bit like, why should we do what you tell us to do? Um, so the flip side of that is, you know, you go into a community and you basically say, look, you know, we want you to do A, B, and C. And they say, why would we do that? And we say, well, because we're going to pay you. And they go, oh, okay. <laughs> we'll do it. And, and you know, my, that's my experience that, you know, if you go into a community and you basically say, look, we advise you to do this, there's nothing in it for you that people are a bit like, well, no, you know, I, I don't want to do that. And, but if you go in, so basically what we're doing is we're employing people. So we're employing mm. teams. Okay. Um, and we, so with the primary focus we have at the moment is around the climate crisis. And so what we're doing is we are training teams um, and we've got seven performance levels. When people graduate from level two to level three, from level three, they get paid. Um, so we employ them as a team and we set standards and we set targets for teams and then we coach them and support them to meet those targets. Um, but the idea is, is that 
we are setting the standard and the standard in some ways, the standards are not really negotiable. Um, mm. Lots of things are negotiable, um, you know, in terms of how you do the work, but what you're doing and what your targets are and, you know, what you're trying to do is not really negotiable, which is obviously a big difference. And in some ways, quite politically incorrect to do that. It's a bit like, well, you're telling people what to do. It's like, we're employing them, you know, it's like, mm. It's like it's a job, basically. And, you know, um, and obviously there are many different types of jobs. So I think that's the question it begs, which is what does it mean to be employed um, and what does it mean to be paid to do this work? Um, so, you know, you could be employed to work in McDonald's, right? Um, or you could be employed to work somewhere, which is um, your vocation and helping you meet or you'll be more self-directed, be self-determined. So it's a tricky one, um, but that's the big difference that we're not actually giving mm. grants. We're not giving grants to people. We're not advising people. We're basically setting a standard and saying, here's what we want to do. If you want to come and do it, then we will support you and train you to do it and we will pay you to do it. Right. Got it. And then, so there is something in there, which is like, you know, if you want to do it, we'll train you. It's, it's not purely an incentive that is financial though. No, not at all. And I, and I think, you know, it's sort of like, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's like if we pay people, then suddenly they do it. Like, you know, I've definitely, been involved in situations where people are being paid and they're doing a really crap job um and so there's right so just take just 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 expand that expand that analysis a bit further for me yeah so so what what we've kind of find with um you know so what we find with teams that come to us and say look we want to do it is that some of them if you like graduate and some of them don't graduate and the ones that don't graduate don't and they don't and it isn't because of the money it is they didn't graduate because it's like oh we're not you're not paying us enough or whatever they don't graduate because you know you could think of it as a cultural mismatch or there's a mismatch basically in terms of their expectations of what they should be doing or want to be doing and our expectations so what i would basically say is that um you know ultimately like again going back to the professional athlete analogy ultimately you do not get up at five in the morning and train for 20 hours a day because you're going to get a paycheck. Um, you get up and you do that because it's your vacation, because it's what you want to do. And there's something else that's driving you to do that. And the question is, what is that something else? And why, why are you going through the trouble of doing this? Because ultimately it's like, you know, it's not like we're, we're, we're paying people enormous amounts of money and, you know, the money itself is becomes a, becomes a driver, but it's actually, you know, it's not a huge amount of money, um, in some ways and in other ways it is depending on your context and your community. But what we find is the people who have an inner drive to do the work for other reasons, because they want to contribute because they, um, because they're worried about what they're seeing happen in their communities or because they're trying to find their vocation. They're trying to find something to do that is meaningful. Those are the teams that kind of stick and kind of continue. Um, and again, you know, the, the, we don't start paying, paying people until later. So there is a hump. It's like, you've got to get through this hump, mm. um, of, of figuring out how to do this work without being paid. Um, so if you get across that hump, then, then, then it becomes a question of, okay, how do we support you and what do we do? So what mm. I would say is that that, that inner drive to do the work, if you like, is really what, um, is a make or break of a team. So ever since I've known you, Zaid, you've always been incredibly driven. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go on. That's just been my, I mean, you may not experience that about yourself, but I've experienced that as someone who's been around you. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And, um, and so then, it, I mean, your previous description just begs the question of like, what yeah. is that for you? What's that inner drive yeah. for you that gets you up in the morning to go run the 20 laps before you even yeah. go to work? I just like, I, I don't think I've ever had to ask you that in the last 20 odd years. And, and like, what is it? What is that inner driver for you that gets you out and about? 
you know, I've sort of been lucky to have a relatively kind of privileged childhood in a sense, right? Where, uh, you know, un unlike, you know, unlike somebody who basically, you know, I grew up in the Middle East. I, my dad worked with Crown Prince, you know, it was a, it was a very privileged kind of lifestyle in some ways. And, and I think what drove me then was a much more kind of curiosity about the nature of these kind of challenges, but it was a very relaxed not driven curiosity. It was a bit like, you know, I'm observing these kind of things happening. But I think what happened for me was that my inherent assumption was that was to trust the system in a sense, was to basically say, okay, mm. you know, there, there are people mm. who, whose jobs it is to think about this stuff. They wake up in the morning, this is what they do. And as I kind of, um, I guess as I entered into my career, what I found was in some ways quite disturbing. And it was a bit like, but we're failing to tackle these problems despite the fact that we have people with experience who have, have enormous privilege who you know get paid huge amounts of money it's a bit like what the hell is going on here right. what is actually going on it's a bit like well so i think for me it was a, it, it still is it's a bit like well i still don't get really what is going on at one level in the sense that you know would i rather be you know reading and writing books and sitting on a beach maybe um but i can't you know and i can't because i know what's going on so, so for me partly there's a there's a question about you know how do we how do we expand if you like the game of, of paying attention to these challenges um and working on them so that sufficient numbers of us are doing that and obviously we've been doing it in some ways for a long time but in general i think mm. that the large majority of people in the world um assume that there are some grown-ups who are, you know, they're looking after these things. And to some extent, it's true. Obviously, there are people who are doing it. And to some extent, what's also going on is that we're failing. Um, um, you know, the, the pool of grown-ups, if you like, that have traditionally looked after these challenges, whether you think about that as government or, you know, institutions are basically kind of failing. So for me, the drive comes from, you know, a form of, if you like, you know, enlightened self-interest in the sense that I know what's going on. You know, I have a, I have a kid, I know what's going to happen in 10 years, 20 years or 30 years if we do not tackle these kind of challenges. And uh, at some point, I don't see it as much of a, of a choice. Um, you can ignore it and it will mm. come and bite you <laughs> whether you like it or not. So I don't feel that I've got a choice, you know, to kind of ignore it. Um, and, you know, you know, if you have sufficient privilege, you can ignore it um, and you can insulate yourself from that. But I don't feel I have that option. Mm, thank you. So folks can opt in and yes, they're opting in because of their interests and they're opting in because they'll get paid for it. How they do it is up to them. Like, but the what they're going to do, these targets, these standards they have to meet. So my question is like, how are you setting them? And like, and how does that, how are you remaining ethical within a system as a funder or as an employer? How are you attending to the ethics of setting standards? Yeah, and maybe just to kind of back up, you know, people are also opting in because they're looking for work that means something. Um, so they're they're opting in because it's a bit like, well, okay, I could, I don't know, go join the army, I could go work in McDonald's, I could, what are my options here, basically? So partly, I think people are also opting in because, um, at least in a tentative way, or a there's a question mark could this become something that is more significant for me could this become something that's a career could this something could this become something that's my work really so i think that's a question mark that people have and they're discovering that um and you know i can t I, I'll, I'll tell you a few stories of kind of teams and how they've evolved but um but just to come back to your question you know the the nature of the practice is that it's 
iterative, that we try something out, we see what happens, we see what response we get, we think about it, and then we redesign it. So, you know, in terms of, in terms of, you know, so the climate, the climate strategy, if you like, that we're pursuing is called the Gigaton Challenge. We launched it about two years ago. Um, so probably two years, October. And, um, and the way we run it is that we run sort of short sprints. Um, so a sprint could be anything from two months to three months. Right. You know, we've we've probably run 150 sprints in two years, um, and every time we we run wow. one, we will look at what we're doing, we look at how it works and doesn't work, and then redesign um, the next one. And obviously, things that don't work, we get rid of, and um, things that don't make sense, we will iterate that and redesign it. So that's one piece of it, which is that you know we've got to be very iterative and reflexive, and it's not that we've come up with once and it works. Um, and obviously, the more you iterate and the more you do that there are pieces that then start working and then you can basically focus on the next bits that don't work. So that's kind of one thing. I think the ethical challenge is probably more significant than that um, response um, uh, support. So, you know, the ethical challenge I think is that if you are employing people, one question is, well, what, kind of employment is it you know what's the nature what's the nature mm -hmm. of the employment um if you're employing people and you know we employ a lot of people in the global south um so for example um we had a team meeting we had one of our first all hand meetings in india last week and and um one of my colleagues one of my colleagues was talking about you know um some people we employ to transport food waste and she said you know she said something like well 500 rupees for half a day's work is quite fair and you know <laughs> my head kind of exploded and I was a bit like, how could you say that? And she was like, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, what yeah. do you get paid? And um, she said, what's that got to do with anything? And it, it was a bit like, well, we have this per perception of what is fair that is really um, set by the market, set by expectations, set by, you know, and it's a bit like, well, why is that person fundamentally not getting paid five times, 10 times, 20 times that? Mm -hmm. Why not? You know, and it's sort of like, well, because I don't know, because the market sets the rate, and it's a bit like, well, but but you know, if if we asked you to live on that, you couldn't, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, you know, that that would be the end. That would be end of flying, transport, restaurant dinners, iPhones, laptops would be the end of it, right? Mm -hmm. So so where do we get this notion of what what fair looks like? And then obviously, as we go and find money and raise money, um, for you know to do the work from a from a from a capital point of view the question also becomes well you know what's effective and it's a bit like you know and i remember we you know a couple of months ago we had a conversation with an extremely large foundation and they said you know um we don't think you're being particularly effective and i was a bit like what do you mean and they said well you know the outputs you're getting seem to cost a lot of money and i said well what do you mean? Like if, if, you know, so for example, if I went and said, okay, I'm, I'm going to go buy a pair of shoes and you said, well, how much are you paying? And I said, $20,000. So, well, that's a lot of money for a pair of shoes. But if I basically said, okay, I'm going to spend $20,000 you say, what are you buying? And I said, well, I'm, I'm buying employment for a thousand people. You'd go, wow, that's really cheap. So the question is really, you know, what's the output that you're buying for what, for what input? And, and, you know, what right. we're trying to do is we're trying to maximize um, labor. So we're not doing efficiency. We're not basically saying, okay, can can we can we hire one diesel truck and get 20 tons of waste on it? We're basically saying, can we hire 20 people with cargo bikes and can we employ them all basically instead of employing two guys that are going to drive a big mm -hmm. truck and it's going to be technically efficient? So we're aiming for labor intensity, but it, it begs this question from investors and donors, which is that what's effective and what's ineffective? And you know what we say to people as well, you know our overheads, our our goal is to is to lower our overheads to five percent. 
So it's like, okay, if you give us $100, $95 are going to go to people mm. in the bottom 20% income bracket in their communities. And it's like, so how are we ineffective? We are the most effective. <laughs> you know, we, we are more right. effective than anyone you've ever funded or any one of your grantees. The fact is we're going to employ as many people as we can for that money. Um, and that's very different that's from being ineffective. So I think there's also this question of, again, what's fair, what, what market rates are. And it's like talking about people in the bottom 20% income bracket. Um, so it's, it's like, well, actually nothing we spend is ineffective or fair for that matter. It's like, we're so far away from fair. Oh, I love that. I love That's really helpful. And I just really appreciate how you kind of broadened it beyond standards. And I feel like, um, Tim, I want to, I want to bring this conversation to one of our clients. We were actually just last week talking and we, um, with a client who was talking about the standards he's bringing and the standards are incredibly mm-hmm. well-intentioned and I actually mm-hmm. think they're on target, right? Like I, I he's, he's not wrong. And the standards also come from an inherently colonial mindset. And so someone from the place that we are working was like, I don't buy your standards. And there's no doubt that the standards would make quality of life better. Like, they're, like it's just not even a thing. And then this person was saying, but I'm from here and that standard doesn't work for me. So it's really interesting. And we just kind of talked about like actually holding it all. Like we're actually not going to resolve that particular issue. We're going to keep working it. And I think the iteration piece and I think kind of going upstream to the ethics of it are the other place I want to, that's just really, really helpful. Thanks. I mean, this is why I said that the ethics piece is very difficult because it's a very thin line to essentially imposing a set of neo-colonial values right. on people yeah. and kind of saying, well, tough, this is right. how we're going to do it. We have the money, you don't. So obviously what happens um, in any kind of um, transaction is that you set up a power dynamic. So obviously if we're employing people and they're employed by us and they live in you know a community where average income is you know I don't know $10 a month or $20 a month, there's a massive power dynamic. Um, and, you know, so yeah. the question is, how do we, how does that power dynamic evolve kind of over time? Um, and, and are you, and, you know, to some extent where you're obviously using that power dynamic to set some standards and say, look, this is how we're going to do it. The question is, how does it yeah, evolve exactly. over time? And how does that relationship evolve Great. over time? And, you know, I'll give you an example. So, you know, we set targets for teams that are monthly and the idea is that teams have to meet these monthly targets. Um, so uh, the question, of course, is that well, what happens if you don't meet targets? So what, what do we do then? And obviously the mm. default assumption, mm-hmm. um, so we provide two coaches to each team who work for us. So the idea is these teams are coaching, you know, these teams each have two coaches, coaches supporting them. But, you know, the default assumption from the side of teams and coaches is that if you don't meet your targets, something punitive is going to happen to you. So we're going to stop your funding. We're going to punish you. We're going to kick you out. Something bad is mm-hmm. going to happen to you. And, you know, we had this, I had this interesting experience with one of our teams. And so they're in South Africa and, you know, they're all, they're, there's poverty in South Africa. And then there's the poorest parts of South Africa, which is whole different program. So, you know, they're from one of the poorest parts of South Africa and um, we funded them for three months and they didn't meet their targets for the first month. So the coaches kind of come to me and say, hey, they haven't met their targets and, you know, we are not getting anything from them. So we're trying to kind of ask them what's going on and we're not Mm -hmm. getting anything from them. And I was like, okay, so what have you done? And they said, well, we've created this, you know, 29-page questionnaire and we've got 2,000 questions and we're basically going to force them to answer all these questions. And I was like, no, 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 stop, (laughs) don't do that. They said, well, why not? They're not, you know, we we have to find out what's going on. So we're going to force them through this process of essentially kind of compliance, right? And I was like, but 
that's not going to work, you know, stop. And they said, well, what do we do? I said, well, look, the reason they're not talking to you is they have a problem. What's the problem? So figure out what the problem is. I said, oh, but they're not telling us the problem is. And I was like, okay, it's time out. I'll talk to them. And, you know, it took me probably two weeks to figure out of gently kind of asking them and saying, hey, we're here to help. If you need help, tell us what you need. And eventually they basically said, so we um, ran out of money. So we basically, you gave us a bunch of money. So we paid teams in advance. They ran out of money. And it was like, well, we ran out of money, so we can't build these composting boxes. So therefore we can't collect compost. So we're stuck. Mm. And I was a bit like, okay, how much money do you need? And, and they said, what do you mean? <laughs> Look, how much more money do you need in order to complete building the compost boxes? So there you go, $200. I think, okay, so if I give you $200, you'll be back on track. And they go, yeah. So we gave them $200 and they're back on track. So they were back on track the next month. Suddenly, you know, you know, data starts flowing. Yeah. And, but what I said to, you know, what I said to my team is that, you know, if a team is not meeting their goals um, and we're paying them, whose side are you on? And they're like, what do you mean? <laughs> it's like, you are not on the side of capital. Right. You are not here to in mm. represent the interests of capital and protect the interests of capital. You're on their side. So you're on the side of the team, not on the side of capital. So right. you're not here to basically go, I'm, my job here is to make sure that you don't waste this money. It doesn't get embezzled. It's like, that's not your job. Right. Your job is to, is to support the team and figure out what they need. And, and they were a bit like, yeah, but what if they're like, embezzling the money or what if they're and you know and I, and I was kind of joking and I said look if you if your team isn't working and you basically can't find what happened to the money and I was like I'm not actually saying and this is might be one of these things that I kind of regret saying I was like get a receipt book and write the receipts <laughs> they were like what what are you saying and I was like just write the receipts like figure out what the problem is and and they were like, but that's completely wrong. And I think I'm, I'm not actually telling you to write the receipts, but what I'm saying is that your job is to help the team right. no matter what. Right. Right. And, and that, and no team, no team is going to get a punitive. And then, and then, you know, it begs this question of, well, then they'll abuse the system. And and I was like, if they want to abuse the system, there is absolutely nothing you can do. Right. If they want to fake their data, yeah. if they want to send you deep fake videos, <laughs> what are you going to do? Right. There's nothing you can do and it's game over, right? So if a team basically right. feels that that's what they've got to do in order to get through and, you know, the quote, comply with your external standards, it's game over basically, mm -hmm. right? That's the end. Right. If they don't, so, so the, the conversation with our teams is really that, you know, how do we build enough trust where you put your hand up and say, we screwed up or something went wrong and, you know, we got a problem and we need more money or we need more time or whatever it is the problem is. So how do you get to a point where people feel comfortable enough to say that to you, where they don't feel they're going to be punitively punished by their employers or by the donors or whatever it is. Right. So that's the, that's the evolution of the relationship, which is, can you get to the point? And that's very difficult. Yeah. Super difficult to do. How, 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 how often does that happen? How often do you see that kind of, maturation of a of a relationship to the point where it begins to have that kind of uh collaborative back and forth where you're really problem solving across what is as you acknowledged an an inherently unbalanced power dynamic right i mean you're you're essentially working right through the midst of inequity to try and solve a very 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 local problem yeah so i, th I think i think what happens generally is that when teams start to work with us um you know a lot of teams have experience with the traditional kind of development dynamic, right? Where there's donors and grants. So that, so a lot of teams, a lot of people come from the dynamic where they assume 
that's the operating culture. This is kind of kind of how it works. So part of it is like, how do you unlearn that culture? The other part is, you know, um, how do we model whatever behaviors we want to see and whatever we want to see in the in the relationship, which is much more difficult. Um, but I think what happens at the beginning is teams don't believe us. So we say these things and they kind of go, yeah, right, whatever. And they don't believe it. And it's, we've heard all that. Yeah, before. We've heard all that before. And it's just blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just talk. And, and cause obviously the power dynamic is real, right? It's like, it's a very real yeah. power dynamic. So the power dynamic yeah. takes, takes preference over your kind of rhetoric of equality or whatever it is. So we don't, we try not to do that. We try to basically show them in practice how it works. So if you hit a speed bump, how do we tackle the speed bump? If you hit a problem, how do we tackle the problem? Um, and, mm. and again, it's very messy and imperfect. Um, and it works with some teams and with other teams, it, it doesn't really work. Um, and um, so it happens relatively often. And I think that the more teams kind of um, graduate, if you like, through the levels, the less it happens. And then the problems become much more problems that really require kind of more collaboration and much more um, to and fro and 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 partly it's deliberately designed that way that you know the early right the early levels are very simple technical problems so it's kind of like you know you're collecting food waste you're composting it's like you got to dig a hole basically it's a very simple technical problem but you know if you're if you're dealing with sort of teams kind of later on down the line then it's like how do we get permission from the municipality or local government to compost in the city or how do we do x or how do we do y and those problems are not technical problems they're much more kind of adaptive problems and those are problems that we have to figure out together to some extent so i think it evolves but those speed bumps happen kind of all the time i'm trying to reconcile um uh the kind of there's no real adults out there looking after this shit people all right like it's a fucking i don't know what's happening at the top but like it's a fucking mess and then this kind of like grassroots uh kind of like change making work that you're doing that kind of like graduates and scales over time, you know, and like, what is it? What is it that you're learning on that kind of like grassroots level that gives you some kind of optimism about where we might be going as a species or as cultures or as, do you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm trying to like piece those two pieces together and yeah, so I'd just love to hear you just like make make that stretch for me. Yeah, like. I mean, I, th- I think, you know, the characterization that the, there are no adults is a difficult one to make because a lot of the people I'm talking about in some ways are my friends and colleagues, right? So I'm like, I'm talking about my friends and colleagues and I'm kind of going, what the hell are you guys doing? Right. And they're going, we're doing our best and right. here's, here's where we are. But, you know, right. the, 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 the problem I think is that um, the, the practice, if you like, in the dominant system is not through anyone's faults, um, and you know, I'm gonna put this bluntly, is, is, is more is more a form of malpractice than practice. And mm. it's a bit like, you know, it's, and you know, and I, the way I characterize malpractice is a bit like, you know, you go to your hairdressers and your hairdressers basically doing heart surgery in between haircuts and you're like, stop, you can't do this. And it's like, <laughs> well, why not? It's like, I don't really wanna have heart surgery at my hairdressers, right? Because that is a form of malpractice. It's like, don't do that, that's insane. So the dominant kind of the, the dominant system practices something you know called strategic planning and it doesn't work it's not suited to complexity it's a form of malpractice and it's a bit like you know people believing the world is flat it's a bit like well the world is flat therefore we're going to navigate the world as if it's flat it's like no no it's a sphere it's not flat and they go what are you talking about that's nonsense so the way i see kind of strategic planning is it's two-dimensional practice it's like you're good at writing proposals powerpoint decks you know it's paperwork basically mm. and you're good at it right but it's like okay we've got a group of people who are having a disagreement 
how do we help them? That's a different practice. It's like we have people who are disagreeing or we have people with trauma. We have, you know, people, very messy kind of people problems. That's a different set of skills, if you like, in a different practice. So part of it is I think there's a malpractice problem. So again, it's not that people are bad in badly intentioned. I don't believe that people are, you know, deliberately kind of screwing things up. I think they're doing what they think is right in the context of what they see, but they don't have the the tools for it. It's sort of like you know, you don't have the tools, you don't have the practice basically that is suited and fit for purpose. So that's right. kind of that going on. Um, and then, you know, what, what, what we're kind of seeing on the ground is, um, it's kind of amazing in some ways we, so we have a team, I'll give you an example. So we have, um, so two years ago, we had these two teams that started. So one team was a bunch of sustainability consultants in New York and, you know, they, they all had, highly educated, you know, highly paid. And, um, and then we had another team starting at the same time. And these were 20 year old blue collar workers, um, in a town in India. So both of them said, okay, what do you want us to do? What's level one? So level one is you've got to reduce emissions by one ton in two weeks. So the sustainability consultants say, you mean you want to write us to write a proposal for how we're going to reduce emissions in two weeks? I go, no, we actually want you to do it in two weeks. And they said, no, nah, can't be done. It's impossible. We're like, no, it can be done. And they said, nope, can't be done. Anyway, so then the, this team, team of blue collar kids on the ground said, okay, what do you want us to do? We said one ton of emissions in two weeks. And I said, we don't know what one ton is. What does that even mean? So we said, okay, so it's about 800 kilos of food waste that you've got to collect that would otherwise go to landfill and you've got to compost it. So they were like, okay. So they went out and got the weighing scale and they started weighing food waste in their offices where they worked basically. Um, and in two weeks, they'd done it. So they came back and said, yeah, we've done it. We found someone who knows how to compost. They told us how to dig a compost pit. We collected food waste. We asked our bosses if we could have all the food waste in these companies that we contract for. And we did it. And we were like, great. And they were like, what next? What do you want us to do now? Meanwhile, the sustainability consultant said, I, I am not kidding you. Come up with a you know, 100-page PowerPoint deck um, wow. for some some highly elaborate, complex scheme that they wanted to implement that made absolutely no sense to me anyway. I was a bit like, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And they hadn't done anything. And they were convinced that it just couldn't be done. Mm. And then when we said, well, actually, we've got a team that did it. They said, oh, well, in India, you could do it. You couldn't do it in New York. And it was like, come on, really? Um, so that's kind of the example of, if you like, malpractice versus practice. And what we find is that there are teams on the ground um, they just get it, you know, they're just like, yeah, we're ready. And, and, you know, this team that I'm talking about, um, they're in a city called Vizag in India. They're our best performing team. So this month they did um, 100,000 kilos of food waste. They're employing about 200 people now. Um, and, and, you know, and they're doing great. They've got, you know, they've got three or four EVs that they use for collections. They've got, you know, they employ 80 people with cargo bikes to pick up the waste. Um, and, you know, when they started, they were a bit like, oh, you know, people are making fun of us. We're like, oh, we're they said, oh, well, you know, our parents, people in the community are saying, well, you've become waste pickers, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, you've become, you know, is this what you're doing? Is this what your parents sent you to school for? And is this what you, and so they were sort of like, oh, we're, you know, we're being slightly kind of bullied and humiliated a bit. And now people are coming to them and saying, hey, um, do you think I might be able to get a job? Right. <laughs> Could you employ us? And uh, so now they see themselves as, mm. you know, employers. They, they run a company and they employ people basically. I love that. And this team, by the way, this team, by the way, is a sports team. So they play this Indian sport called Kabaddi and they think about everything in terms of practice. Mm. So they literally, they, you know, you say to them, okay, if you practice, you'll get good at things. They're like, oh yeah, of course. So, so they're practicing and they're, and they're getting good at it. And, you know, they're, they're now growing their teams basically. So the number of people, you know, they have 15 people who started two years ago 
think there's 45 people full time now. Um, and probably, you know, another hundred or so, hundred plus, 150 part time that they employ. So, uh, you know, that's just the difference in practice and malpractice for me, which is that in some ways, the more educated you are, the more you've got to unlearn. I just like the, the closer to the ground you get somehow, the more optimistic things feel. Mm. And I think, you know, and I, and I think that they have challenges. So, so, you know, suddenly when the numbers go up to a certain level, they're going to bump, they, you know, they're bumping up against government and, you know, politics and land politics and all sorts of things. So those challenges are much more difficult for them to solve. And in some ways it'd be much easier for a group of, you know, highly paid consultants to solve. So they've also got to grow the diversity of their team mm. to not just include people from the grassroots. So, you know, we say that it's not just grassroots, it's not just a team that's grassroots, it's a team that eventually has to include you know local government local businesses and community-based organizations and civil society actors working together so the question is you know how do you grow and expand that team and maintain that kind of culture of of practice where you're not sitting there just doing kind of powerpoint decks and you're actually getting out from behind your computer and doing things basically this makes me want to ask you um as you've been building 10 and 10 i'm curious it feels like a related question to me, but like, who do you like working with? What have you discovered about like, these are the folks I want to work with? Um, do you mean in terms of institutions? Um, well, I guess my you can answer however you'd like. My question is, there's so much work to be done and so much good work in the world. Yeah. It's like, you know, any project mm -hmm. could be amazing. And we yeah. keep finding that it's who we're working with that makes the difference for us. And so whether yeah. that's kinds of people yeah. or institutions, I just love to hear like what, as you think about what does it mean to be tackling these kind of challenges? Who do you want to work with? Who do you yeah. like working with? Yeah. So, so, you know, one of the things we say in the work is um, that if you look at what we're doing, where's the kind of innovation, if you like, you know, where, where, and, and the innovations are not kind of the prototypes that these teams are building. The, so we say the innovation is the team mm. um, and, and really kind of at the heart of everything we're doing is this idea that teams are going to respond to these challenges. And if these teams get good at what they do, then we're going to get somewhere. Um, the, you know, the, 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 the difficulty I think is that the institutional structures that we have don't really support this type of work. Um, you know, and I'll give you another example, right? So when we were working in um, Chicago, we built some of these teams in the South side and there was this guy who was in one of the teams and he was a street musician. So he'd never worked in an institution before and he wasn't quote socialized into the system. So he would just say stuff and people would just be <laughs> outraged, you know? So for example, you know, for example, so each team was given a budget and they were told, you know, you've got to do something to help create jobs. So, so he wants to set up a music studio and people are like, no, we don't want to do that, but they don't have a better idea. So they're like, okay, we're going to go with it. So, so they have to buy equipment. So one of the people from the foundation was like, Johnny, I'll come with you to buy the equipment. And he kind of goes, why? And this is in front of everybody. And she goes, what do you mean? Why? And he's like, well, why, why are you coming with me to buy the equipment? Why can't I go buy the equipment? And, it, and then he goes, well, is it because mm. I'm black and you're white and you don't trust me with the money? And he says this and people flip. Uh -huh. there it is, right? uh -huh. it's like, they're like, you can't say that. And he's like, what? Well, it's true, isn't it? Like she doesn't trust me with the money. So she wants to come with me. Anyway, kind of long story short, they set up a music studio and, and it kind of worked, you know, they, they had young people coming in and then, um, so we were in Chicago probably two years. Um, and then six months after we left, I got this phone call from the foundation and they said, um, so, um, the music equipment's gone. I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, Johnny's taken it. And I was like, 
okay. And they were like, well, but it's ours. And I was like, but I mean, you know, we paid them to set up a music studio. I'm sure he's running a music studio. I mean, you know, what do you want me to do? And they said, no, no, but we own that equipment. And I was like, you might technically own equipment, but it's gone. <laughs> what do you think he's doing? <laughs> it's like, that's, I was just like, well, what do you think he's doing with the equipment? You know, he's probably running a music studio, which is the whole point. It's just that he's not giving you credit for it. Mm. And he, and you're not getting any credit for it. And by the way, you're not getting the equipment back. And, you know, this person was a bit like, but like to finance people. And I was like, let me talk to CEO. So I, I spoke to Terry and I was like, hey, Terry. And he goes, that's great. That's the whole point, isn't it? And I was like, yeah, the whole point was he's running music studio, but legally your finance department is saying we own the equipment and can we get it back? And they're not going to get it back. And he was like, no, no, that's ridiculous. But institutionally, it's a bit like, well, you haven't, you know, that's not how it works. You can't just take the equipment. And it's like, yeah, he kind of can. Nice. So, you know, part of the problem is I think these institutional structures don't really doesn't really work to support mm-hmm. you know and so the way we've we've set it up is that this is why we're employing people and it's like you can run set up your own company we can employ you you can be an NGO we're going to contract you and then it's your business mm-hmm. what you do with the money how you buy you know if you buy things it's yours you know and and I'll give you another example right again of how this kind of works so the team has bought three um or four electric vehicles and um, so, you know, these electric vehicles are for the business, right? Mm-hmm. So I spoke to I spoke to the coach there um, just last week, and he said, ah, oh, you know, those EVs were a game changer. And I said, um, how is it a game changer? And he said, so one of our team was coming from the airport on a field visit, and he saw one of these EVs, which has a gigaton logo on it, on the motorway. And he takes his photo. And he said, you know that EV that he saw driving down the motorway um, when he was coming from the airport? I said, yeah. I said, do you know what it was doing? I said, what? He said it was delivering fish. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, well, one of the guys, uh, one of the guys is a fisherman that we employ. And he basically was borrowed the EV to deliver fish. And I was like, oh, that's cool. He said, so you do realize that, you know, 50% of the time, these EVs are being used by the community to do things that are nothing to do with waste collection. And I was like, that's great. And he said, yeah, so basically people use it to go to weddings. People use it for their businesses. Somewhat, there's a bakery that uses it. There's no contract. There's no money being exchanged. They're just like, these are now communal vehicles that get used. But but it's a bit like, well, actually, wait a minute. So who's paying? <laughs> you know, I'm a bit like, but what? wait a minute. Are they insured? What's, you know, so all of these institutional questions come in. But I'm a bit like, hey, they're your EVs your business right i was a bit like but just make sure you're insured <laughs> but you know that but you know that's an example where again it, from an institutional point of view it's a bit like time out random people just borrowing these evs and driving around town um but that's kind of the point right so you know so for example if we build a fleet of 50 evs right the idea would be that we only use those 50 EVs for half the time or a third the mm-hmm. time, and then two thirds of the time, they're actually available to the community to run their own businesses and do whatever they want. It's none of our business, basically, how they use them. Um, and we should not kind of go in there and say, wait, you're not allowed to do that. It's not insured. We have liability. You have liability, whatever. Um, so that's kind of partly what I'm talking about, that you know, the, the, the culture of kind of response has to be localized, contextual, self-determined. So, you know, we could go in there and say, look, mate, we're paying you for these EVs. You can't let them use these EVs. Right. But that, that. <laughs> Who's that? Is that? Who is that? I don't know. I just hit mute. Oh, I think you muted me, mate. There, there you go. go. That was an exciting interruption. That's all right. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? 
<laughs> well, look, I just, I love, we should keep that in, Mark. That was great. And uh, look at that for a transition. I've, one of the things I've been doing over the last few years here is I need is setting up a local football club and it's like free access football. Any kids can come and play, et cetera, et cetera. And, and like we've just, we ended up being able to secure a grant and we've just redone the local soccer, the local football pitch, the local soccer pitch. And, you know, it's a, we're setting up a sports equipment library and all kinds of stuff. But because of that, we've had to change field, you know. So all of our kit is ending up in other people's lockers and storage equipment. And we hand out boots, we hand out shirts, you know, anything anybody needs to play, we supply it. It's the basic. No obstacles to play is the kind of gig, you know. And then I turned up the other day and I'm there with Francis and uh, who kind of founded it with me. And he's from Kenya and he, you know, wasn't coached football until at least after the age of 20. And he's one of the best footballers in the area. And I was saying to Francis, I was like, man, like, I think we've lost about 50% of our soccer balls. <laughs> like, I don't know where any of the boots have gone. Like, we used to have, like, stacks of shin pads we would hang out. They've all gone anywhere. And uh, and I was worried about it. You know, I was like, well, where's all this stuff gone? And he goes, and he goes, he goes, that's the point, Tim. People have just taken it. Like, that. we buy all of this stuff so kids can go play soccer who otherwise wouldn't get a chance to play. We just found a really good distribution mechanism. Yeah. <laughs> And, but it's, it really reminded me of what you were saying because it really reset my brain of like, oh, oh yeah, that's the point. What are right. we going to do? Well, we get regular funding right. every year from various organizations. We're just going to go out and buy more right. balls, you know, and we're going to go get more shoes and more right. shin pads and then people are going to take them. And that's the fucking point. Yeah. Okay. You know, but it was great because he totally just, it, it was very similar to what you were just saying there, but on this, you know, really local level with the soccer club. I'm going to bring us slowly to a close here, friends, as we as we get in. And uh, over the summer, I was telling you, I met some of the folks we used to hang out with about 20 years ago, Zaid. And uh, and one of the things that struck me was that there was a comment uh, f- uh, from from one person, and you know, to kind of reflecting back to where we were and this this feeling that things were more optimistic 20 years ago, that somehow 20 years ago it felt like you know, we could we could take the turning off the motorway and maybe find ourselves somewhere else than where we're heading right now. And uh, and it was interesting because I don't I, I don't it shocked me because I don't actually feel that way. Like the closer I've got into my community and where I live, the more optimistic I feel. And and, and I feel like that coming off this call. I feel like just like listening to your stories and and what you're talking about, like uh, I. I I feel more optimistic than I did coming in at the beginning of the call, you know? And, uh, and I like that. I like that feeling. I like that, you know, the kind of stories you're telling make me feel hopeful. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's genius what you're doing. Of course it is. I expect nothing less. It's hopeful, man, to listen to you and to listen to what you're up to and how you're approaching it and the kind of humility that you'll bring into it. And just this, uh, I feel like every single time you presented a situation, you then presented the questions that you asked, you know, and just like constant questions, constant curiosity, just to unveil what might otherwise not be obvious, you know? So it's been a real delight for me to have you on here and to kind of reconnect you at this stage. Choose anything you want to say before we Try and pull a quote from Zaid. No, just, um, no, just really, you know, other 
appreciation. I haven't known you for 20 years. I think we met once in Amsterdam before this. And I remember that conversation and I feel like I'll take this conversation with me and just feeling really grateful for the way that you um, both share what you're thinking, but also it feels really clear to me that you are um, not resting on your expertise. I can feel that you're pushing your own edge and Mm. that feels just right to me. So. Thank you. Very kind of you both. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're trying to figure it out. And I think uh, the optimism thing is kind of interesting. So I think these stories in terms of what these teams are doing on the ground, um, you know, whenever I hear them or whenever I kind of expose them, then again, I feel the same way that actually I feel like we've got all the ingredients we need to tackle these challenges and they uh, are there in the form of kind of people and and teams on the ground. So, um, yeah, and meanwhile, the kind of, you know, the meta trajectory of the planet is kind of going where it's going. But I honestly do think it's completely within our, our hands. I mean, it's even now, I think, given the seriousness of the situation and, and what's kind of going on, I still feel that it's completely kind of within our capacity and hands to um, to shift it. Hmm. We usually close the pod asking the guest if they is there something they're carrying around in their back pocket every day you, you know which kind of gets them through sometimes it's a quote sometimes it's a song line sometimes it's something your kid says to you at breakfast something it's some sometimes it's something you say to your kids when you send them off to school whatever it might be but is there something that kind of you're going back to at the moment that's keeping you in the game you know? yeah i mean i've got a quote for you guys which is a very simple quote which is you can't test courage cautiously so, mm. so, so, you know, the, this thing of actually does take courage and, you know, also what these teams are doing is, um, t- you know, it takes trust, it takes trust and, and courage for all of us to kind of do it. So, um, I don't think you can do it cautiously. So it's sort of like, you know, we either get to it or we don't really. And, um, that's what I remind myself. <laughs> I love it. Brilliant. I love it. Zaid, where would our listeners go to find out more about you or your work? Like wh- where would you send them? Yeah, so you can go to gigaton.co um, and there's a whole bunch of stuff on, on Gigaton there and, um, you know, there's details to get in touch with us as well. So, you know, we're also, um, every quarter we have new teams signing up, so we also welcome people to kind of, you know, send us a message saying that you're interested in setting up a team or supporting any of the teams that we've got. I think the last thing I would just say is that, you know, we we being the collective we need all the help we can get so it's not as if you know we're like we're good we're done it's like we need help at every level at every step so if people want to help by coaching a team or joining a team or setting up a team then they really are welcome to to join and um should get in touch that is fabulous thank you so much mate really good to see and hear you today thank you